All right, everybody, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Ion Motive podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. I've got a little different setup going on. Um, the lighting's a little bit funny, but this is definitely a higher quality video than I've shot the, the last couple episodes. And the last few episodes, I was trying to figure out what I was doing, and I think I'm starting to figure it out. I still think there might be a better way so that when I do record this, when I post these clips to social media, if you see them there, when I post these clips to YouTube, they're going to be a much higher quality. So the lighting's a little dark, but at least it's clear. I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. But put that aside, let's, uh, let's get right into this episode. Today, I'm going to be picking up where I left off with the last couple episodes, talking about topics that are helpful for first-time buyers. Specifically today, I'm going to be going over some common financial practices that are helpful in determining what you can spend on a house. Obviously, a pretty relevant question for somebody who's never bought a house before. In the second part of the podcast, the motivational topic, I'm going to be talking about the, the cycle of motivation. The reason I want to talk about this is because if you haven't heard this topic talked about before, and if you listen to any kind of motivational video, there's a good chance you have. But let's say you haven't. You might misunderstand, you might be misunderstanding the, the cycle of motivation, and I'll go into greater detail with that later. But I want to talk about it because if, if you're planning on ever improving any aspect of your life, it, it's going to be pretty relevant. So we'll talk about it today. But once again, thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope I am able to provide you with some value today. Like I always say, that's, uh, that's ultimately, ultimately my goal with this, these, these podcast episodes. So let's get right into it. Let me try my best and see if I'm able to do that. So how do you determine, how do you determine what you're capable of spending on a house? It's a, uh, it's a question that's obviously very relevant for people who are buying homes, especially for people who are buying their first oh, their first homes and really haven't given that very much thought or really maybe they're just unsure. It's something that needs to be addressed. Well, one of the ways that this is addressed, one of the ways that you can determine how much you can spend on a house is through something called the debt to income ratio. So the answer to this, what the debt to income ratio is, is found by comparing your debts, how much money you owe in a month compared to your income, how much you make in a month. So this is again called the debt to income ratio. And I think it's easiest to look on it, at, look at it on a month to month basis. So common financial practices, it's if you look up online, Investopedia is likely going to tell you this. That's actually where I got this source. A lot of people are going to agree on a certain number. So let's let's explain a little bit more before I elaborate on that number. Common financial practices states that for you to be able to comfort, comfortably afford your house, your total debt, so think of everything that you might owe money on, your mortgage, your credit card, your student loans, everything, should not be more than 36% of your monthly gross income. And that's pre-tax. So I'll say that one more time. Your total debts, all of your debts, should not be more than 36% of your monthly gross income. Again, that's pre-tax. That's, um, that's your salary number. That's, uh, you know, if somebody tells you your salary is 60 grand, that's the number we're going to be using when I go into an example, then that's the number you're working with. So let's, uh, 
let's go right into the example. Numbers can be difficult to conceptualize when they're just being talked about. Some people, some people can think of it in their head, some people can't. So I'm going to make sure that I create a document, upload it, and, and share that with you if you need the visual example. And that will be in the show notes. So if you're a person who's more of a visual learner, go and find that in the show notes. But let's talk through an example. Let's say that your salary is $60,000 a year. Okay, great. That's a, that's a good chunk of money to be making. Well, on a monthly basis, that's $5,000. This is where we start plugging in some numbers to figure out if you can afford your mortgage. So let's say for the sake of this, you're hoping that you can spend $1,300 on your mortgage. Okay, well, $1,300 is 26% of 5,000, right? Remember the rule was that your mortgage should not exceed 28% of your monthly gross income. Your mortgage payment should not exceed that number. Okay, so that's in, that's in line so far. If we add onto that, the mortgage payment being $1,300, if we add $300 a month in student loans, and then we add $100 in credit card debt, then our total debt for the month is $1,700. Again, I got that by adding the mortgage, $1,300, $300 in student loans, and $100 in credit card debt. Well, your total debts, all that you owe in a month is $1,700, okay? And your income is $5,000 a month. Well, $1,700, your debts divided by your income, 5,000, is 34%. So, Using this common financial practice, then what most people say, what most financial experts would say is that you could comfortably afford this home because your, your debt to income is less than 36%. So again, this is just common practice by, by lenders and by people who deal with the financial aspect of buying a house. However, this may not work for you. Other people recommend uh, something completely different. Some people say this is this is way too much. You shouldn't be spending this much. One of those people is Dave Ramsey. If you've ever never listened to Dave Ramsey, he is a financial guru. He's helped millions of people. But his approach to money, his approach to finances is much different from many people's. He's much more conservative. He's He's much more strict. He's big on paying for things only with cash, only if you can actually pay for them up front all at once with cash and he's huge on eliminate eliminating that as as fast as possible so what he recommends he says that you shouldn't spend more than 25 percent of your monthly take-home pay so that's your net income that's after taxes so remember that number is going to be smaller on your monthly mortgage so quite a bit different now again he's much more conservative but those are just some ways that you can calculate the, the payment for your house. Ultimately, this is what's most important. The key is that you don't put yourself in a hole or in a spot that's too much for you to handle. So again, as I always recommend, I'm not a, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a mortgage lender. Uh, so I do suggest you reaching out to people, people like that if you have more questions. There was something else I would like to add about this topic. One question that came to my mind while putting this topic together is, why isn't there an easier way to compute this? Like, is there a certain number? Is there a certain multiple that you should spend on, on a house? So 
to be more concrete, let's say you make $100,000 a year. I'm going to switch it up just to make it a little bit easier in my mind. Is there a rule? Is there a guideline? Like if you make $100,000 a year, you should not double. You should only double how much you spend on a house. So if you make a hundred grand, you should only spend $200,000 a house. Or is it whatever your salary is, you, you can triple what you spend on a house. So if you make a hundred thousand, you can spend $300,000 on a house. I've also even seen it that if you make a hundred thousand dollars on a house, you can five times that you can spend $500,000 on a house. Now that's a pretty big range. Two to five times your salary is a drastic difference, right? $200,000 on a house and $500,000 on a house is entirely different. So I've seen that before and I tried to find a common answer, but there really wasn't one. The answer is very greatly. The actual cost of the house is not just determined by the sales price. So we really can't use that as a guideline because there are so many factors that go into determining your mortgage payment besides the, besides the actual price of the house. For example, the interest rates. I, I talked about this in a couple episodes. Um, maybe it was the early, earliest episode, but your interest rate is going to drastically affect your payment. And I think a lot of people know that, but I don't, I want to express the degree to which it actually impacts your payment. So again, I have another example for you here. So for example, a $350,000 house with a 20% down payment and a 7.5% interest rate has an estimated monthly payment of $2,382. Cut that interest rate in half and the payment decreases to $1,721. So that's quite a bit difference. We're going from $2,300 to $1,700. That's $600 a month. So I think the reason there's not a common guideline for that rule is because because the sales price isn't just what affects the, the mortgage payment. There's, there's other factors, right? There's the, the principal, the interest, the taxes, and the insurance. We have to consider all of those. So to, to better understand what we can spend on a house, I think it's, it's more beneficial. It's more realistic to use something like the debt to income ratio. So really my point with this is it's essential to take all factors into account before making this decision. There have been plenty of times where I tell my parents, oh man, um, and this is this has been something that's gone, gone on throughout the years. I would love to buy a house in Milford, for example. And they say, oh yeah, Milford's beautiful, but the, the property taxes are quite a bit higher than they are in Heartland. Again, it's essential we take all factors into account before making this decision, before actually buying the house. Before we jump into the next part of the episode, there is something I would like to give to people who are looking to buy their first home, people who are looking to buy, looking to buy their next home. And that's a complimentary free market report. So if you go down to the description, go ahead and click on the link uh, for my link tree. And then there'll be a button that you can select after that for a free market report for buyers. All I'm going to ask is a couple of questions. And after that, I'll, I'll give you a report based on, based on your answers. It's going to tell you about what's listed in the area. It's going to tell you about what's sold. It's going to give you some helpful numbers to give you a better idea of what's happening in, 
in this market that you're looking at. So if you want one of those, I think it's, it's I think it's going to be a helpful resource. Just go ahead and fill that out and I'll get that to you as soon as I can. Now, let's wrap this up with a motivational topic. Today, I'm going to be talking about the cycle of motivation. So it's a common assumption that in order to act, in order to make progress towards a goal, we, we need to feel motivated. We think it goes motivation first, action second, and then we feel good third, right? We, we start with motivation because we have motivation, we act. And because we act, we feel good. That's not the case. I wish it was, but unfortunately it's not. This is how it has to occur most of the time. Normally, it's going to have to be this. You're going to have to start with action. And because you act, you're going to feel good. And because you feel good, you're going to be motivated. And when you're motivated, you can then again act. The problem is motivation doesn't always just pop up. You don't always feel it. So we can never rely on motivation to actually act. We can never rely on motivation to just pop up, make us feel good and inspire us to actually make progress towards our goal. A lot of times, especially when it's something new, especially when it's something difficult, we're not going to feel motivated. And for that reason, we just have to act. And there's a huge lesson here that I want to stress today. The lesson here is that any action is better than none. One push-up is better than zero. One call is better than zero calls. 10 minutes of reading is better than no minutes of reading. It's, it's tempting to get caught up in the idea that what we're doing is not enough. I do this all the time. I set goals for myself, goals that I know are going to be difficult to hit. And sometimes I, be, I feel overwhelmed by them. So rather than taking, I, I, I view it as like an all or nothing thing. Like I either have to do this entirely or I can't do it at all. And that's not the case at all. There, there's a middle ground. Doing a little bit is better than doing nothing at all. Even if it's not exactly what, what you hope to be doing someday, even if you eventually want to be doing more, it's okay if you're not doing that today. I, I, I want to harp on that. That's something that, I really struggle with and I need to work on. So let's talk about this a different way. It's extremely difficult to go from zero push-ups to a hundred push-ups, from making zero calls to making a hundred calls, from, from not reading at all to reading two hours a day. So by taking just a little bit of action, by taking on a little bit of responsibility, we're going to feel good that we did something, even if it's the most minimal thing we could have done. And after that happens, we feel good, and then we want to do more. So here's my point. Even if you're only going to do a little bit today to get better, don't discount that. Don't discount any action that you're willing to take today. By doing a little bit, you're going to feel better. And by feeling better, you'll do more. The key to sustaining this is by doing a little bit over and over and over and over so that it becomes as easy as breathing. Then you add a little bit more. You add a little more discomfort. You take on a little bit more responsibility and you keep repeating the process until you hit the levels that you, that you want to be hitting, until you achieve what you want to, what you set out to achieve. So again, don't wait until you feel good. Don't wait until you feel motivated. It's a good chance that that's not going to happen. Just do it and you'll feel good because you did it. So that's all I really have for this episode. Thank you again for, for listening. I'm glad that I'm being more consistent. I'm really glad that I found a better way to record this. Again, I'll work on, I'll work on finding a little bit better way to 
increase the the brightness. It's also dark outside and that could be affecting it. But um, yeah, if you prefer to watch this on video, I've got that posted on, I'll have this posted on YouTube as well. But that's all I got. Again, make sure you don't forget about that free market report. If you're interested in that, I'll get that to you as soon as I can. Besides that, take care. Thank you again for listening to this episode and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you.